Genesis chapter 24, verse 1. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, Put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. The servant said to him, Perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? Abraham said to him, See to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine, only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took Ten of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, the city of Nahor. And he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water and the daughters of the men of of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom you will, uh, let the sorry, let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink, and who shall say, drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom, had, whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please, give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water, and she drew for all his camels. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half a shekel and two bracelets for her arms weighing ten gold shekels and said, Please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She said to him, I'm the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. She added, we have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. The man bowed his head and worshiped the Lord and said, blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsman. Then the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. Rebecca had a brother whose name was Laban. Laban ran out toward the man to the spring. As soon as he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms and heard the words of Rebekah, his sister, thus the man spoke to me, he went to the man. And behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring. He said, come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I've prepared the house and a place for the camels. So the man came to the house and unharnessed the camels and gave straw and fodder to the camels. And there was water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. 
Then food was set before him to eat, but he said, I will not eat until I have said what I have to say. He said, speak on. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has greatly blessed my master and he has become great. He has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male male servants and female servants, camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old. And to him he has given all that he has. My master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I dwell, but you shall go to my father's house and to my clan and take a wife for my son. I said to my master, Perhaps the woman will not follow me. But he said to me, The Lord before, you, before whom I have walked will send his angel with you and prosper your way. You shall take a wife for my son from my clan and from my father's house. Then you will be free from my oath when you come to my clan. And if they will not give her to you, you will be free from my oath. I came today to the spring and said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, if now you are prospering the way that I go, behold, I am standing by the spring of water. Let the virgin who comes out to draw water, to whom I shall say, please give me a little water from your jar to drink, and who will say to me, drink, and I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. Before I had finished speaking in my heart, behold... Rebecca came out with her water jar on her shoulder and she went down to the spring and drew water. I said to her, please let me drink. She quickly let down her jar from her shoulder and said, drink, and I will give your camels drink also. So I drank and she gave the camels drink also. Uh, then I asked her, whose daughter are you? She said, the daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milka bore to him. So I put the ring on her nose and the bracelets on her arm. Then I bowed my head and worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who who had led me by the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. Now then, if you're going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me. And if not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, the thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go, and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. When Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord, and the servant brought out jewelry of silver and of gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave to her brother and to her mother costly ornaments. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank, and they spent the night there. When they arose in the morning, he said, Send me away to my master. Her brother and her mother said, let the young woman remain with us a little while, at least 10 days. After that, she may go. But he said to them, do not delay me since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. They said, let us call the young woman and ask her. And they called Rebecca and said to her, will you go with this man? She said, I will go. So they sent away Rebecca, their sister and her nurse and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebecca and said to her, oh, sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. Then Rebecca and her young women rose and arose and rode on the camels and followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebecca and went his way. Now Isaac had returned from Beer Lahai Roy and was dwelling in the Negev. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes. And when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. 
Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for, uh, for giving us a chance to, to sit under your word and to hear your word and to read your word. God, would you, would you bless this time? Would you show up on our behalf to, to do that surgery on, that, on our wicked hearts to, uh, to give us the joy that we find in Christ? Would you do all of this through your word, through your spirit, by your power, God? We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I stood at the end of the aisle awaiting my beautiful bride, and I almost couldn't take it. She had a long walk where uh, she could have been seen before, like she got to the end of the aisle. Uh, there was a door there, so Eric, the guy that uh, married us, um, he kept me busy and he kept me facing this way so that I couldn't see that way. And so he was telling me about, um, you know, he went to a war museum with his son, Zach, and I just could not have been more disinterested in that story. Um, like, you know, I'm about to get married right now. What's going on? Uh, so my heart's just thumping like a thousand miles an hour. Um, I felt like I could hardly breathe. It was also like 100 degrees in June. Um, so that probably had something to do with it. Uh, and we were outside. And my groomsmen's shirts, like they had already changed colors from the sweat. Like it was great. And I had a, a vest on that made it just really warm. And so I took the vest off and looked like I still had a vest on because of the sweat. Um, but Eric grabs my shoulder and he says, you can look. So I cry like a baby. One of the most amazing moments in my life. I will never forget it as long as I live and as long as I have some sort of power over my cerebral, cerebral cortex. Um, but two became one. Two families joined together. Two people began the journey of marriage and life together, and the ultimate relationship comes to be. And I didn't cry the whole time. I, I sucked it up a little bit. Um, but we're going to see a similar moment in our passage. Uh, we'll see all the buildup to the moment. Well, but the most amazing piece of it comes through the beginning of a relationship. We see a servant who goes to bring back a bride for Isaac, to bring them together in relationship. And it's helpful, it's helpful for us to see because you and I are the servant in this story. We are the called ones. We are the goers to leave, to make friends and relationships with those outside the family, outside of the faith, to bring them into a relationship with Jesus. Our call is no different from Abraham's in Genesis 12 in that if we are believers, which we are as Abraham's offspring, um, then his offspring is to be the blessing to the world. Every tongue, tribe, nation, uh, to bring those outside of the fold into the fold of salvation. And we do so by bringing them to Jesus. So we're going to look at this passage just a little bit differently in that we don't have three points and a larger point that goes over that. We just have one point and it's kind of reinforced over and over again. Um, so for my type A'ers, I'm sorry. Um, but let's just dive in. Let's take a look at verse one. Faith means bringing others into the family now. So we'll, we'll just pause there uh, and just get some context. So we just left chapter 23 where the father of our faith, Abraham, has just buried his wife, Sarah. They had been through over 80 years of marriage and sin and seeing God's faithfulness and provision. Uh, and they have truly gotten to see for the very first time in history as it's recorded how the God of the universe interacts with his people. 
So uh, all along, we've seen the roller coaster fight of faith. Um, we've taken some good notes, a lot of what not to do. Um, and now we're here, 65 years after God has called Abraham to leave his homeland, to bear an offspring that will bless the nations of the world. He's just buried his wife. And so now with his, probably his own wife in his mind, he thinks of the wife of his son. He probably wants to go and find one you know, for his own self, for his son, but uh, the rest of verse one. Abraham was old, well advanced in years. Uh, he was 140 years old to be exact. And one translation, I just love it, it says, he feels his years. I'm like, yeah, I'm not even 30 and I can get seriously injured in my sleep. So I can, I can imagine 140. Um, so uh, it keeps going. And the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. So just right there is a good summary of all that has happened so far. Abraham's old, he's feeling his years, and God has blessed him in all things, even his most horrible, sinful moments. God has shown himself faithful to bless his people. Because as a reminder, uh, these, these people were in the wilderness where people went to die and they have lived and thrived and gained wealth and have done so for 65 years. Obviously, they have some, some divine, divine, divine intervention. Um, obviously, God is with them. So with the daughter-in-law idea in mind, we have verse 2. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh. Now, that sounds kind of weird for us. Uh, but it's actually just culturally appropriate. It was a binding, it was like a binding handshake. Um, so like they didn't have a written culture yet. They weren't, they didn't write a contract to say, okay, this is what binds us. Uh, they were more storytelling in nature. So this was just a way to bind the men together in agreement. For what? We'll see that in verse three. That I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. Now this sounds really odd right off the bat too, like almost kind of rude, um, but scripture explains this elsewhere, uh, like in Deuteronomy 7. It says, when the Lord your God brings you into the land that you're about to enter and occupy and he clears away many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And when the Lord your God gives them over to you, do not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons, that you would, uh, for that, would turn away your children from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you and he would destroy you quickly. So God just wants to protect his people. He knows that the people of Canaan, they have some tantalizing gods that would surely make his people turn because he has some weak people. He does not want that for them. Uh, he, so this does not mean, this cannot mean that God does not care for or want to bless any longer these people. Um, he just does not want to do it through marriage. Genesis 12 is still on track. Uh, and then in verse five, the servant said to him, perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? That's just a really solid question. Like, what if old girl doesn't want to leave? Because this is a pretty weird request, Abraham. Like, I mean, they have not even met yet. So I don't even know if I'm going to be able to find the right one. But if I do, um, and she doesn't want to come back, do you want me to just take her back or take Isaac over to her? Um, and then verse 6, Abraham said to him, see to it that you do not take my son back there. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land. 
he will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. But if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath of mine, only you must not take my son back there. And this is just what faith looks like. It looks like, <clears throat> no, dude, God is going to send an angel before you to make this happen, and if it doesn't, don't feel any pressure to do anything else, you'll be free. So faith looks like God will do it, but he also might not. It's a weird confidence in both of those. Um, but this is just what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say to the king as they're about to be thrown into the fiery furnace for worshiping God and for not worshiping uh, King Nebuchadnezzar. They say, our God can and our God will deliver us from your hand, but even if he does not. Faith looks like, this is what I hope the outcome will be, but even if it's not, God is sovereign still, and that's a much better place for me to be than anywhere else. So verse 9, so the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took 10 of his master's camels and departed, taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master. So he's a smart man. He's taking gifts to give to the woman to make her feel even just a little bit more okay about the idea. Uh, because think about it for a second. His concern about her not wanting to come back is totally legit. Hey, woman whom I've never met, I believe that you are to marry a friend of mine's son. Would you come back to our land with me? Like, that's just kind of weird. So no wonder Abraham answers in the way that he does earlier. Like, God's going to have to do it. Um, but it keeps going. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor, which is uh, Abraham's brother, so as to keep the woman as part of the family that God has called out. And yes, that makes them cousins, but this was not yet forbidden by God and was not yet cursed by God as we see it being now. And so verse 11, and he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of evening, the time when women go out to draw water. And this is just beautiful storytelling. The author clues us into everything that is going on so easily. The camels are kneeling down the animals as a posture of worship and honor just to the situation as to what's about to happen. Like there is honor and there is the longest chapter in Genesis is chapter 24. Like there is a lot of room given for this specific moment, for this thing that we're about to see to the situation, um, possibly as to what the angel is doing. We don't know. Um, but as the sun is setting, women of the households would come out to get water because it was too hot otherwise, and the author just takes his time to prepare the situation because it's huge. And then the servant prays in verse 12. And he said, O oh Lord God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I'm standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink, and who shall say, drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. This is a prayer of faith. The servant looks at the situation. He looks at the spring of water and potentially hundreds of women drawing water, and he has no clue what to do from this point on. But he knows that this task is vitally important. He knows that this is a huge deal. So from this woman will come the continuation of the offspring that God will bless the nations of the world with salvation. So just like any person that doesn't really know what to do, he's just like, help me. Um, he just talks out loud to God. And he says, please, God, make this happen. You choose the woman Isaac is to marry and show her to me. I have no clue what I'm doing here. 
And then in verse 15, before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. So we know that this is, this is the girl. Our, our guy still doesn't know. So the author just puts the words perfectly. Before he had finished speaking, like a slow motion scene in a movie, the camera pans and we see the girl just in super slow motion. This is the one. God shows the servant the woman. God answers the servant's prayer before he can even finish the prayer. But he also just shows us the future wife of the offspring of Abraham. This woman is so important to the story of God's people and she doesn't even know it. Like she's just getting water probably brushing her hair out of her sweaty face. She probably doesn't feel very pretty. She probably smells bad. And she's about to become the mother of nations in faith. And then in verse 17, the servant, because he still doesn't know yet, the servant ran to meet her and said, please give me a little water to drink from your jar. And she said, drink, my Lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. Such a gentle kindness about Rebecca. She stops her task, lets down the heavy basin of water, brushes the sweaty hair out of her face again, lets some other man have the water she has labored over for her family. And then in verse 19, when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking, which is a lot of water. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water as she drew for all his camels. Now it doesn't say this, but that's a lot of trips back and forth from the trough to the well. The man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. And I love this. Like this is just so weird, but cool at the same time. Like he's obviously being a little odd. He's just staring <laughs> at her. And the, you know, we don't know if she's doing all the work and he's just watching her go back and forth. Uh, but I just love this. So he, he just saw how God answered his prayer in the middle of his prayer uh, to show him the woman. So he's, very, he's just very intently looking and waiting for God to do something. Uh, I just think that's really cool. Um, it's like a little kid when you say, hey, can you watch my drink? Well, you know, you go to get the food or something and the kid's just watching the drink. It's kind of like that. And then verse 22, when the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing, half a, she weighing a half shekel and two bracelets for her arms weighing 10 gold shekels so he's just lavishing this woman with gifts to show her, to, two things, to show her his status as wealthy, like, hey, where I'm coming from, we have a lot more of this, but also just the generosity and the kindness in which the master who sent him is. He's just a generous, a generous guy, and so uh, that's what happens. And then in verse 23, he said, please tell me whose daughter you are. Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? So the second question he doesn't necessarily care about, he just wants the first one. Um, verse 24, she said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. She added, we have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. The man bowed his head and worshiped the Lord and said, blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsman. Then the young woman ran and told her her and told her mother's household about these things. So the part about Nahor being a part of Abraham's family, that's what he needed to hear. That was the key. And he knew at that very moment that God had prospered his journey, and he was just so overjoyed at the thought of what just happened. He just stops in the middle of the conversation and just starts worshiping. Um, so no wonder she runs away. Um, 
And so, but he just worships with words of, of what has just happened. God has not given up his love toward my master. He just showed his faithfulness to my master and thus has dealt kind with me too. And then in verse 29, Rebekah had a brother whose name was Laban. Laban ran out toward the man to his spring as soon as he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms and heard the words of Rebekah, his sister. Thus the man spoke to me. He went to the man. So kind of like the, the older brother, he's doing his due diligence, going to see what's going on. And behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring. He said, come in. Oh, blessed of the Lord. Of bl- oh, oh, blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I've prepared the house and a place for the camels. Laban just wants to know what's going on. He sees the wealth. He sees the man on the ground worshiping. He heard the story of everything that, uh, that his sister just said. So in verse 32, so the man came to the house and unharnessed the camels and gave straw and fodder to the camels. And there was water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. Then food was set before him to eat. So there's also gener- generosity on this side. Um, but he said, I will not eat until I have said what I have to say. And so Laban said, speak on. And we're just going to see a recap of everything that has just happened uh, from the perspective of the servant. So we just read it, but now we're going to see it from his eyes. It's the longest chapter in Genesis, um, and it has this huge recap in it because it means so much to the narrative of the entire Bible. Remember, all of this, all of this is happening because of, the God, because of God stepping into the life of a man who worshiped the moon. Otherwise, we have no narrative. We know nothing about the man who worshiped the moon, and he dies unknowingly in his homeland. The entire makeup of heaven is dependent on this moment. You and I, as we sit, if we are believers, our faith, it all hinges on this very moment. And so that's why God just takes a lot of time to talk about it. So in verse 34, and without question or argument or anything, we have verse 50. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is for you. Take her and go. And let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. But when Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord. And the servant brought out, jewel, brought out jewelry of silver and of gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave to her brother and to her mother costly ornaments. So he's just praising God. Like they, they answered back to just everything that he just said. Um, he said, here's the whole story. And they said, yeah, that has to be something from the Lord because this is a really weird situation. You just mentioned it. We see it. But this has to be from the Lord. Everything just happened according to what, you, what Abraham said was going to happen. So they're just praising God by their generosity to show how serious and thankful their master Abraham is. And then in verse 54, and he and the men who were with him uh, ate and drank, and they spent the night there. When they arose in the morning, he said, send me away to my master. Her brother and her mother said, let the young woman remain with us a while, at least 10 days. After that, she may go. But he said to them, do not delay me. Since the Lord has prospered my way, send me away that I may go to my master. I've got to get home to tell him the news and show him how God has made all of this happen, how God has, has done what he promised. And then in verse 57, they said, let us call the young woman and ask her, And they called Rebekah and said to her, will you go with this man? She said, I will go. And they sent away Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant, and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands, and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. Little did they know, that was spot on. And just like Abraham was called to leave his homeland, so was Rebekah. 
And just like Abraham was blessed by God in his going, so was Rebekah. In verse 61, then Rebekah and her young woman arose and rode on the camels and followed the man. And thus the servant took Rebekah and went his way. And we see the result of it all. The wedding moment, the tears, the music, the drama, the whole telling of the story twice. It all leads to this in verse 62. Now Isaac had returned from Bir Lahai Roy and was dwelling in the Uh, was dwelling in the Negev, and Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening, and he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes, and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to her servant, who's that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, it is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself, and the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. So he told the story again. Uh, then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah, and she became his wife, and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. And so what we see is that faith entails bringing others into this faith. It entails you and I listening to our Lord when he says to go and to bring another into the fold of God's salvation, even though it might be odd or weird or not at all what we want to do, or even if we think, you know, what if they don't want to be a believer? What if they don't want to come back? What, why would I want to proclaim the gospel to them? It's going to make it super weird now. It's, it's bigger than the awkwardness. The implications are eternal. Faith means bringing others into this family. And in the story, we should see ourselves as the servant at first, um, as the one who is sent by God to make relationships with those outside the faith, to bring them into relationship with the Son of God, uh, with the Son of our God, by merely explaining to them the implications of this relationship, we say, just like the servant does at the end, here is my master. And our prayer should look like the servants. Blessed be you, Lord, the God of my master Jesus, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness toward Jesus, as for me. The Lord has led me in the, way to, in the way to the house of my master's kinsmen. I'm a part of this family, not because of my own doing, but because of your grace and mercy to Jesus, in whose blood I am now covered. However, this view of us in the story will always leave us hanging. Because if we're honest, we're not very good servants. We stink at being servants. We're like the servant who got in trouble last week for falling asleep on the job or for eating too much cookie dough, or just our simple anger and hatred toward our brother or our sister. We are sinful and messy and definitely not God's favorite servants. I mean, even on our best day, God has thousands and thousands of people to choose from who are at least more solid than I am, right? Why would he choose me? But he has. And he has chosen you and I to go and to proclaim the gospel. So then our question becomes why? So we know that we're supposed to go, call from God. We get that. Why? Why should we go? Because the Spirit goes. The Holy Spirit is the true and better servant who was sent by his master to go and woo and win a bride for his son. That means that we are Rebecca in the story. Ephesians 5, 25 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ 
loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. And then in Revelation 19, he says, let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Now, ladies get this almost instantly, but it's not a super feminine way to be. As men, this is merely God's uh, explaining to us finite human beings the way he sees us. As a man looks on his bride at the wedding day, as she walks out from behind the door, that's the feeling. That's, that feeling is similar, but it still doesn't even come close. He just uses our, um, what we know to explain it, but it goes far beyond that. When Christ looks upon you and I as spotless and without blemish and joy overcomes him as he sees the people that he's going to spend eternity with. So how does this happen? We see that that God has sent the Spirit out before to to find a bride for his son. and, And this is in the process of happening. But how does it happen for you and I? And we see the benefits of being in heaven. We see the benefits of being a part of this family How do we get there? It comes by belief. It comes by a forsaking of everything that we have ever known to go be in relationship with Jesus Christ, the son whom the servant is calling us to. Because the Spirit's work in you and I, that's what brings us to Jesus. It's the same Spirit that brings others to him as well. And we go out just like the servant in our jobs, at work, um, with our friends, as we go to our friend's friend's house and we're, and we're there just kind of for a birthday party or something like that, we go uh, just like the servant with the spirit who has gone out before us, just like the angel. And God will prosper that way. At the end of our lives, we may not have the most money, the nicest car, the greatest family, the nicest personality, and maybe we have a certain sin struggle that we struggle with every single day until we are exhausted and and we are gone. All of that may be true, but because of the Spirit's work, we will never be alone. Even in the nursing home hallway in our chairs, as people walk by and never notice us, where our children and grandchildren never stop by, we will not be alone. And the last thing that's just absolutely amazing about this story is just imagine the joy on the servant's face as he sat at the wedding ceremony. He knows just how amazing this whole journey has been. He's excited about it. He's told the story three times. He saw how God showed up in a mighty way to make this whole thing happen. No one will ever see it quite like the servant will. Can't you just imagine him grinning from ear to ear registering the joy in his heart at the fulfillment of his mission in bringing a bride for the son. John the Baptist, uh, when he introduced the Lord Jesus to Israel and his disciples left him, like he had followers and they just left him to go be with Jesus, uh, someone asked him how he felt, just a legit question, and he said, he who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now full. He must increase, but I must decrease. We are like that servant. We can expect the same brimming of joy in our own hearts as we watch someone join together with the Lord, with the God of the universe in new life. And on one day, 
We'll be sitting around the table with Jesus. God's going to be telling the worst dad jokes in the world. And we'll be sitting elbow to elbow with the very people we went to. To bring them to Jesus. All because of the Father sending the Spirit to do that for us. All because of that work. All because in the ultimate act of love, God came in flesh and bone to save you and I. So as a picture of that day, uh, we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. So if you are a believer, if you have been made perfect and righteous by belief in Jesus Christ and by turning from your sin, then you're welcome to the table as part of the family. If, however, you have not yet turned to Jesus in belief or if you are in unrepentant sin, I ask that you remain in your seat on the basis of 1 Corinthians that says you will eat and drink in an unworthy manner because you have not yet stepped into a relationship with the Son by the work of the Spirit in your life. But the fact that you're here this morning, drinking from this spring, the servant is here. Calling you to relationship with Jesus today. Please do not leave without knowing for sure because you can know for sure. If you have any questions about this, please find me. Grab the the guy or the woman sitting next to you. Um, Just seek the Father during this time. For all of us, uh, let our prayer reflect what the servants was. Blessed be you, Lord, the God of my master Jesus, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and and his faithfulness toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsmen. I'm a part of this family, not because of my own doing, but because of your grace and mercy to Jesus, in whose blood I am now covered, and whose house I will dwell in forever. One of the reasons we take communion every Sunday is because it's a physical representation of the gospel. And so just in case, if, um, if something has been missed in God's word or if something we have said that has missed the gospel, um, this is always here so that the gospel is never missed. Because we have to ask the question, why do we go to others to proclaim to them the gospel Because God has come to us to come and redeem his unfaithful bride by the sacrifice of the lamb, by the life, death, and resurrection of the groom. We go because Jesus has come. We go because on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the physical representation of the gospel. We thank you for the gospel news that this body and this blood were broken and spilled out that we may have life. And just as, uh, as we read in Ephesians 5, the, uh, the husband should love the wife as Christ has loved the church and Christ laid down his life for us. God, would you help us to remember that? 
Would you let the gospel truth dig deep into our hearts that we do not forget it? And as we go out this week to our friends, to our family, to those we maybe know a little bit about, to those we don't know at all, would you send your spirit out before us that one day as we sit in heaven around the table next to you, we may be sitting right next to those that we went and and told them all about you. And on that day, God, may we proclaim, look at my master. Would you help us? Would you be with us? We love you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.